Oh!
morning, and we'd like to welcome you, everybody here today to Theresa Baptist Church, uh, one of the few states around here where you can experience three seasons in three days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, uh, we're having a little bit of issue with some of the heating this morning here again. The unit's kind of, we got a unit that's done stopped again, but somebody is here working on it as we speak. Uh, right now, we want everybody to get up and uh, meet and greet everybody, and if you see a visitor, be sure to shake their hand. And all these things. All right, we'd like to uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning and open the service. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We just pray that uh, through this morning that uh, you'll, you'll touch the folks out there working on the heat right now and that uh, your joy will fill this room and heat us with your love, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we go through this morning, the service, just be with the musicians, be with each person involved, Lord. Be with Mr. Rust as he brings forth the message. Uh, be with each person uh, in this room, Lord, and just uh, allow us to be able to be people that you want us to be, Lord. Be the witness. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll go through the announcements this morning. Uh, if you hadn't, didn't already know, we've got the blood drive going on downstairs. Uh, the bus is downstairs, and I'm sure if you don't have an appointment, if you want to just walk in, I'm sure Bert and them will uh, take you on in. Uh, we've also got this yellow sheet this morning with the missions and outreach opportunities uh, throughout the year. Uh, if you're interested in any of this stuff, you can just fill this out and put it in the offering plate uh, when it comes around when we take up tithes and offerings. We also have the uh, pink sheet that is in for the chili cook-off <laughs> on Sunday, the February the 11th from 11 to 1. Um, it's a great benefit for the youth to raise money for their trip to Snowbird. Also, if you have a certain dessert that you would like to donate, uh, to have auctioned off, they would greatly appreciate it. Uh, today, we have normal service, uh, except for the Sunday night service, which we've kind of put it on hold for the time being, uh, with it being so cold and so late now. Um, we have Awana and youth at 6 and 7.30. On Monday night, we will have an exercise class at 6 and handbell practice as usual at 7.00. Uh, we have singing and devotion with Cambridge Hill and the Quest Bible Study on Tuesday night, if anyone would like to attend. Uh, Wednesday, January 17th, we have our normal uh, Wednesday night programs with Act Teens. We also have a youth parent council meeting at 6 o'clock to discuss, discuss Snowbird and ski trip and fundraisers for the rest of the year for the upcoming stuff. Uh, we have Mission Friends, RAs, GAs, the youth, and Women's Proven Bible Study and a quarterly business meeting. Uh, at 8 o'clock, we will have choir practice, and then on Thursday, we will have another exercise class. Baptist Men Day practice will also be Monday um, at 7 o'clock, I think. Yeah, 
Okay. And then service of believers baptism next Sunday at 8.30. It says 8.30 and 11, but they're just going to do, are they going to do? Okay. All right. At both services. Uh, again, the uh, Cupid's Chili Cook-Off and Women's Joy Sunday will be Sunday the 25th at 8.30 and 11. All right. And we will go through the prayer list this morning. Oh, yeah. Also, we have a meeting with the joint committees on Thursday night uh, with the interim pastor to discuss some of the stuff, which be the finance committee, the personnel committee, the pulpit committee, and the deacon board. Uh, we got several people that are sick. We got some people that have come home. Uh, Thomas Long may come home today. His wife, though, is also sick, so remember her. Uh, we've got Shirley Royal at Hillcrest Rehab. At Duke Regional, Mike Corn and Danny Winston. Uh, UNC, we have Margie Gentry and Larry Honeycutt in the burn unit. Delana Perguson is on there for Duke, but she has come home. Uh, Donald Duncan was scheduled for uh, surgery Tuesday or Thursday, but uh, he had some issues, so they went ahead and did it, but he is at the hospital in a regular room and resting right now. Uh, please remember Craig Thornburg, uh, and several others here, Reverend Brian Haggard, who's dealing with ALS, and Donald Wilson, who's also dealing with that. Uh, we also want to remember the family of Velma Woody, who has passed away, Charles Woody's mom, if nobody knows, and Bob Davis, who also passed away this week. Is there anybody else that we need to add that somebody knows of this morning? Okay, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just to say thank you again, Lord, for allowing us to be here uh, in this free country, Lord, and uh, with the medical care and uh, things we have here, Lord. Just uh, be with the ones who have been mentioned, Lord, and the list looks like it grows more every week, Lord. Just uh, touch and heal those people and be with the doctors that are working on them, Lord, as, as we speak, Lord. Just uh, be sure to uh, remember them in their time of need and help them, whether it be in physical or mental uh, capacity, Lord. Just be with us as we go out this week. Allow us to be able to uh, do the things that we need to do to try to comfort people and uh, to be able to bring more people to you. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And we have the verse of the month, which is Jeremiah 29, 11. And if you don't mind, we can say it along. It is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give to you in the future, Jeremiah 29, 11. Okay, we will go to the Lord worshiping song next, but I'll give you a little introduction to, um, oh, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> Let's stand and sing hymn number 68. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verses.
ask Andrew Clayton if he'll uh, pray for these tithes and offerings. Just want to pray, Lord. I thank you for dying cross for our sins. Um, Lord, just please bless these tithes and offerings in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning we'll have a little introduction here of uh, Dr. Troy Rust and his family. Troy is currently teaching at Northern Middle School, at Northern and Southern Middle School as a chorus teacher, and he's also serving as Director of Missions of the Beulah Baptist Association. His wife, Amy, works part-time as a substitute teacher at Oak Lane in Hurdle Mills, and they have six children, ranging from the ages of 14 to 16 months. And uh, once the special music is brought forth by the choir, then uh, Dr. Troy will be up here to bring our morning message.
Somebody pleaded the blood of Jesus. 
It's an honor to be with you this morning, and I bring you greetings from our associational office over at 230 South Morgan Street. If you haven't been by there lately, come over and check out what uh, Chris Clayton and a few other guys are doing upstairs. We hope to soon have the uh, the Prophets Chambers, as it's called. Now, that's not a charismatic thing. Uh, that goes by codes, and it is P-R-O-P-H, not P-R-O-F-I-T. Um, some of you will get that on the way home. Uh, it's a place where guest speakers and missionaries and people like that can come and stay. And it's going to be of great benefit to our churches at a very low cost. In fact, a fraction of what it would cost you to put them up in other places. And we greatly appreciate Chris's leadership in that. And we greatly appreciate uh, your partnership in Beulah Baptist Association. Our association is what the churches are doing. Uh, what comes out of our office is merely a way to help uh, to equip you, or as we say it uh, in one acronym, EMT, to encourage, mobilize, and train. Anything we can do to help you in that process, we want to do that. One thing we have coming up on February the 10th at 8.30, that's on a Saturday morning out at Clement Baptist Church, uh, we are doing something called a MAD Live Event, and MAD stands for Make a Difference. And uh, Don Sunshine, who is a lay evangelist, is going to be there helping to equip us in how to share our faith with others. If you are a Christian, you know the gospel well enough to be able to tell someone else the facts. You, you couldn't be a Christian if you didn't know those things. The breakdown usually is, how do I get that from here to you? And there are so many things that... Uh, that uh, that cripple us, uh, that, that cause us to be fearful, that we uh, will be rejected or that we don't know enough. And uh, the enemy, Satan, is so crafty in that we wouldn't do that often if our paycheck was on the line. We wouldn't worry whether or not someone wanted to hear our uh, objections. We'd speak up and we'd speak out. And yet we become so timid with the gospel. And we're going to talk about that on February 10th. The cost is only $5. That helps to defray the uh, meal cost. And we'll go from 830 to about 1 o'clock. So we encourage you, uh, bring your Sunday school teachers, your deacons, bring yourself because all of us need to know how we can better share the gospel with others. I invite you to turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and while uh, you turn there, I do want to uh, point out that uh, my wife and kids are here, and they're almost to the back. Y'all throw your hands up so everybody knows where you are. Know that it's my kids. Uh, they're, they're refusing to do it. Uh, so you won't know it's them misbehaving. Um, if you don't believe that God is gracious, just look at my wife and look at me and you realize there's sudden, certainly a uh, mismatch of looks there, um, <laughs> and age to some degree. Uh, but God is gracious and we have, uh, six children, uh, ranging from 14 all the way down to 16 months. Yes, I do look a little old to have a 16 month old because I am a little old to have a 16 month old. But God is good. Today I want to talk to you about the one thing that I think is the greatest threat to any church in transition. Now, by the way, it's also one of the greatest threats to any church at any time, and that is the threat of our own selfishness. And now I know that sounds like a preschool Sunday school lesson. Now, little Johnny, make sure to share your toys. Little Susie, if you have a snack, make sure you share it with everyone else. But the truth is, selfishness can get bigger and uglier the older and more influential that we become. 
In times of transition, one of two things will happen. Either God's people will, will come together in a spirit of unity and a great hunger and a great desire for what God has for the future, or they will display sin like never before. Sometimes churches in transition take on a if the, when the cat's away, the mice will play mentality, as though when they don't have a permanent pastor, they can begin to speak up and say all those things they've been thinking about saying. And they've been meaning to give people a piece of their mind, and now they're going to do it. And the infighting begins, and the church begins to crack, and sometimes people begin to leave, and they become discouraged, all because people fall to the temptation of thinking that the church is about them and about what they want. I want to remind you today of a very simple lesson that it's not about you. It's not about me. Jesus said that it was his church. Uh, The Bible says that he is the head of it. He told Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And Jesus is not about to retire. He doesn't need an assistant to come in and show him how to do his job. And yet in our flesh, even though our souls are redeemed and we've been given a new heart, yet our flesh wants to creep back in and take us back toward that person we used to be before we knew Christ. You see, the reason you didn't come to Christ for those years was because you loved you more than you loved him. You had an agenda, and it wasn't the agenda of the cross. You had a way that seemed right unto man, as the Bible says, but the end thereof is death and you were on your way to hell and to destruction because you were doing what was right in your eyes it was only by the grace of God that you humbled yourself and said Lord I can't do it Lord I can't save myself Lord I'm a sinner I'm broken I'm undone your word says I'm condemned already you see God empties us of us before he fills us with his spirit But the temptation is to begin to, as we as Baptists are are famous for saying, to backslide. To go back in the direction of who we were before. To begin to take greater confidence in what I might be able to pull off if I can get the right people around me than what God can do that I could never pull off with the world around me. It's not a surprise that Paul shares these words with the Philippians. These who are his children in the faith. And I want to invite you to stand with me now as we read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or, uh, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the privilege we have to gather in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to you, even unto death on the cross. I pray today, Father, that your spirit even now would begin to take your word and cause it to make application in the lives of your people. I pray that you would cause it to begin to make application in the lives of those who are lost, that this day they might turn from their sins and turn to Jesus by faith and be gloriously saved. Father, help us to see ourselves for who we are. Help us to see our own selfishness. Help us to see those places where we want what we want and we're not really concerned what anybody else thinks or how it may affect them. Lord, remind us today the earth-shattering reality that it's all about Jesus, that it is his church, that it is not about us, that it is our privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. And that as a part of that body, you've called us to unity. You've called us to humility. You've called us to following the example of our Savior. God, deliver us from our fleshly arrogance, our pride, all those things that would cause us to think about ourselves and to forget about everyone else. God, I pray for the future of Theresa Baptist Church, that you might lead them forward as a people unified around Jesus, unified around his gospel, and led by his spirit so that what is seen is not them, but the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, Father, that you'd speak through me, that what people take away is nothing less than your word, your divinely inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. Cause it to make application in our hearts and lives today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may have heard about the miracle of the first service. Uh, I generally preach 45 to 50 minutes etc etc unending lengths and uh, I think we we got done in about 35 minutes and uh, we were up against breakfast and Sunday school y'all are in the unfortunate position of not being up against those things but if you go with me as I told them earlier it's like the old folks said about a sack and sausage you got to pack it tight so we're going to pack it tight and we're going to see all that God has for us in his word And, and when we think about the issue of selfishness we realize that that's an issue that has been with us from the beginning. Even from early early childhood, you don't have to teach a child to be selfish. If it is their toy, they want to hold on to their toy. They may not have played with it in so long that dust is settling on it, but you let a visitor or a sibling go over and pick it up and they'll say, no, it's mine. But little Johnny, you weren't playing with it. I don't care. It's mine. And they'd rather hold it and keep it from anybody else having any fun with it, even if they were going to do nothing and to be willing to share with someone else. You ever seen that show up among adults? That spirit that says, well, I'm not really going to really do anything with that, but I sure don't want you to have your way either. It's kind of like the story of the old manger dog. He wasn't going to eat the hay, but he was going to sit in the manger so the cows couldn't eat it either. But it doesn't just happen in childhood. As you become a teenager, you begin to take on this persona that says, well, I can't, I can't, 
let them make me look bad, so I'm going to have to insult them before they insult me. Or you take the opposite approach is that I fall into self-pity, that, oh, I'm just not attractive enough and I can't speak up enough. And it's another form of selfishness. It's not an arrogant form of selfishness. It's a passive form that says, I'm going to slide over here in the corner and make myself the center of attention even though I'm not saying a word. You know, you can do that both ways even as an adult. And when you become an adult with more influence, more power, more money, even begin to hear people say things like, well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in the workplace, or whether it's in the church. And you are a church that is at a crossroads. Uh, a church that has made some great strides in going in the right direction and, and getting a, uh, an intentional interim lined up. And even with all of those things, there is always the threat that people can step up and say, it's going to be my way or the highway. You forgot how much money I put into this church. You forgot how many years my family's been here. And to those people, we need to say, you forgot Jesus is the Lord of the church. Even though we say, oh, at my church, we know what we mean by that because that's the church we belong to. But some people say that with a capital M. That's my church. I'll tell you today, Jesus is here to repossess his church. He's here to remind you it's not yours. It doesn't exist for your glory any more than any church I've ever pastored existed for my glory. It exists for his and for the glory of God. And we look at this passage as Paul speaks to these young believers, these spiritual children of his in Christ. The one command he comes to is in verse 2. And he says, make my joy complete. Everything is coming up to this point. Now that might seem a little odd, but if you think about it, Paul has poured his heart and his life into these people. He's seen them come to Christ. And now as young disciples of Christ, his great desire is that they would walk in obedience that they would be unified, that they would be humble, that they would follow the example of Christ. Just as John said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. It's one thing, uh, teachers, you'll appreciate this, it's one thing to teach students something. It's a much more significant thing for them to be able to give it back to you. Because if they can give it back to you, you know they're picking, de- picking up what you're laying down. You know that they're hearing what you're saying. They're learning it and they're taking it to heart. Nowhere is that more important than in the church. So today as we think about this, I, I want to remind you that we are called to bring joy to the people of God. Could it be said that your discipleship, that the way you follow Jesus brings joy to the people of God? You may be like Paul and be a significant leader. You might be one of those people that consider yourself more of a layperson trying to just be in the midst of the work. Wherever you see yourself, we all have this call to bring joy to the people of God. And I want to show you three ways this morning that we do that. Number one, we must embody unity. Notice what Paul says in the first verse. And these ifs, he knows, can really be said as since. Therefore, if there is any consolation or any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, if you've experienced any of these things from the Godhead, encouragement, consolation or or comfort, 
fellowship, affection, compassion. You've been there. To be encouraged by Christ himself, there is no greater encouragement. To know the consolation, the comfort that he brings to your soul when you are broken and you don't know where to turn. When you experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in those sweet times with him that leads to fellowship with other believers. When you know the love and the compassion that only God can bring. His point is this, if you have received God's grace, you need to be passing it on. Sometimes we'd say you need to be paying it forward. If you've experienced these things, then why would you not share these things? So he says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So we can summarize it like this, that the church ought to have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, and the same purpose. This is not a call to uniformity. Cults do uniformity. They, they wear the same outfits, they wear the same sneakers, ride the same bicycle, etc., etc. He hasn't called us to all dress the same and have the same haircut and to all talk with uh, exactly the same phrases. But he has called us all to be on the same page. And here's what it looks like to have the same mind. The mind that is set on the glory of Christ and not on the glory of me. To have that same love, agape, that self-sacrificial love that is a decision. Let me remind you of that. Men, when you decided to marry your wife, that was something you did because you decided you wanted to love her and her alone. My wife got a little upset several years ago when I said, you know, love is a decision. She says, oh, so you love me just like you, you decide to love me like you decide to go to McDonald's and pick out something to eat. I said, no, it's not the same, but it's still a decision. And just as that is true in marriage, friend, it's a decision among the people of God. Uh, Don't say that stuff that Christians sometimes, well, you know, I just can't love them. They get on my nerves. Let me share a little secret with you. You probably get on somebody's nerves too. We don't like for people to say that. We could never think that I could uh, irritate somebody, rub them the wrong way, be thought of as obnoxious, but it's true. Uh, there, There are certain things that people like, certain things that they don't like, but when it comes to being unified in Christ, we're to decide, you know what? I'm gonna love you warts and all. Like I said earlier, if you don't believe in God's grace, look at my wife. And to think that she would love me, warts and all, I don't think I technically have any warts, but I sure got a lot of other flaws. The same love, the same spirit. Literally, it means to be one-souled. Now, you don't all share the same soul, but can you imagine being in such step with the Spirit of God that you operate with such unity that there's just no question that the atmosphere of this church Uh, That the attitude of this church, that the mode of operation, that your spirit is in line with the capital S, Holy Spirit. So that you have one purpose. That that one purpose ultimately is the Great Commission. To make disciples of all nations. Whether you're right here in Roxborough or whether you're over on the other side of the world. That whatever you do, it's all ultimately for that purpose. It's not for making certain people feel powerful uh, or, or to make certain people look good uh, or to make your church the envy of every other church. But to go forward 
with the kingdom of Christ. To embody unity. Now, everything I've just read, <clears throat> I can almost guarantee you that everybody in here would say, absolutely, preacher, I agree 100%. You're absolutely right. How can we be in such agreement theoretically and often fall so short practically? In other words, when the rubber hits the road, why do the wheels seem to fall off sometimes? And we go in the other direction. It's because of what we find in verses 3 and 4. Not only are we called to embody unity, but secondly, we're called to demonstrate humility. And if you cannot demonstrate humility toward one another, unity is out the window. You can't be a body of people who all love themselves more than they love others and be unified in your self-love. It won't happen. Because self-love does not unify people. It puts them at one another's throats. It divides them. It brings strife and division instead of love and unity. Someone coined this little rhyme. I don't know who originally said it, but it goes like this. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Let me read that to you again. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Some people have been called to play second fiddle. And there's something in their flesh that hates that. Everybody wants to play first fiddle. First fiddle has the melody. It's like if you compare it to the choir, the sopranos usually have the melody. They get to sing the pretty part that everybody can sing along with. But what if you're one of the altos? The altos sometimes sing about five notes in a varying pattern. Not a real exciting line. You would never sing it as a solo. They would think you were out of your mind and didn't know the piece of music. So what's the purpose of the second fiddle or those harmony vocal lines? You ever think of what the music would sound like with only the lead people? It's pretty to hear a, a fiddle, a violin play a melody line, but it sounds so much better with the harmony behind it. Even if the line is not as difficult, doesn't move as much, is not as pretty by itself, just like the altos, their line is usually not as melodically pretty, doesn't get to move around as much. But oh, how rich the sound is when you put them together. And often playing second fiddle is a reminder that I'm not going to get any credit for this. I'm not going to be known as a hot shot second fiddle player. But the end result is going to be sweet. And that should be the mentality of the church. That what God has called you to do is not going to get your name printed in the bulletin, much less in the newspaper. Uh, you're, you're not going to be introduced to, you know, the person who goes around and straightens up the chairs and picks up the trash here and there. You know, the person who does the most praying and has the greatest amount of faith. We don't ever usually print their names in the bulletin. But can I remind you often, those are the people who are holding the church together. When pastors come and pastors go. 
when people who are upfront and obvious may be shorter in tenure, it's the people that God has given an extraordinary measure of faith. It's those people who are on their knees before God in prayer. They are the glue that's ultimately holding those people together, and most people will never know it. And it would never happen if they hadn't come to grips with this reality. It's not about me. It's not about accolades and headlines and those kinds of things. Paul says it like this. Do nothing, verse 3, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. So to demonstrate humility, you've got to consider others more important than you. And I want to tell you, that can be very difficult. I've had to get over a, a lot of things over the years. Uh, here recently, I was telling my kids one of the war stories about getting over chicken pox when I was in the eighth grade. That used to be a standard battle that kids don't have anymore because of a vaccination. I show them my scars and tell them stories of blisters and on and on. And I got over it. Christmas break. I had to fight the battle of the stomach virus. Praise the Lord, I got over it. But you know the hardest thing I've ever had to get over is me. The one battle that I find still popping up here and there is like uh, going to Palace Point and playing whack-a-mole. You know, they keep popping up and you keep hammering them down. If you're frustrated, friends, go play. It'll be great for you. They just keep coming back, and you keep hammering them down, and the same thing will happen with you. There will be a repeated desire for you to slip into the spotlight, for you to want to be able to get some glory somewhere, somehow. And yet the Scripture says, consider others more important than you. To do nothing. It can't be 50-50. Or 80-20. It can't even be 98% and save 2% for you. Do nothing from selfishness. Self-indulgence. That's why Satan fell. Because he was so full of himself. So desirous to have his way, he rebelled against the God of the universe in a perfect setting. It's the reason why Adam fell. And the reason why Eve fell just before him. But by the way, guys, go to Romans 5. Adam gets all the credit for that. Because, Adam, you were supposed to be leading. Adam, you were supposed to be leading your wife in your walk with God. What were you doing while she was over there having a conversation with the serpent? We don't know exactly. And the end result was he was following her when he was supposed to be Leading her. Instead of leading her into righteousness, he was following her into sin. And in both occasions, it's because they became selfish. She wanted something that she thought God wasn't giving her. And on and on it goes. It's the opposite also of empty conceit. There was a time in my life when I, I, I loved conceited people. Let's be honest. Read the headlines. What are they filled with? Conceited people. Pro athletes. Movie stars. Professional musicians. It's hard to find a humble one in the mix. They really like themselves, and they like telling you how much they like themselves. 
And they live as though the world revolves around them. And so as a teenager and and in my early college years, I began to imitate that. And I was a music major. You don't talk about feeding your ego. You stand on that stage in front of five or 600 people and sing and they applaud you. And it's very easy to carry that over into the ministry. Then you start preaching and, and you go and share God's word with people. What do you want them to do? You want them to tell you what a great job you did. And your head swells up so big, you'd about have to butter your ears to get through the door. And God has to remind you, I, I didn't call you to do this for you. Or even a step before that, I didn't save you ultimately for you. That's a sobering thought. That even my salvation was more about God's glory than it was about me. As a couple of scholars several years ago in an interview said, how can, how can you stand by the cross in arrogance? It just empties us of every reason we have to stand and crow and look at ourselves and seek our own glory. He said, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It has to be a decision that is made in your mind. Don't, don't wait to be levitated and carried to humility. It's going to happen when you understand in your mind, this is what Christ would have me to do. Not false humility. Not that person who acts humble and speaks softly and says, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm just not that, I know I'm, I'm not that big a deal and uh, you know, that I don't have that great a skill. What is that person doing? They're fishing. When they say all that, they're waiting for somebody to say, Oh, no, no, don't say that, brother. We couldn't do it. Oh, sister, you're such a wonderful sister in Christ. And nowadays, with the help of technology, we see it on Facebook. Well, ladies, y'all know. The lady that just went and got the haircut and she posts a selfie on there. She says, girls, I, I don't think it looks that good. I'm not sure. Y'all tell me what you think. Now, who is going to get on there and say, you're exactly right. You need to go get your money back. <laughs> no, they're going to say, oh, honey, you look so beautiful. You, 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 it turned the clock back 20 years. And guys, women are not the only ones doing that. Guys are doing it too, whether it's about their looks, whether it's about their ministry. Well, you know, I've been in the ministry 20 years. I, I don't know whether I've been able to accomplish much for the kingdom. And boy, here we go. The comments start, oh, brother, you changed my life forever. I remember. What's he doing? He just wants people to pat him on the back and make it about him for a while. Can I tell you something I learned about? false humility that false humility sometimes comes in a very quiet package that sometimes people think just because they're soft-spoken that they're very humble can i remind you that every copperhead snake i've ever met was soft-spoken and all of them were filled with deadly venom don't think that because you hate people in a low tone of voice that you are right false fake, hypocritical humility. 
the call to this kind of humility is the exact opposite of the Roman world. The Roman world loved philosophers, people that loved to speak about the human mind and human understanding and people who could make themselves the center of attention. But can I remind you that our American society loves the same thing? We do not encourage humility. We encourage people to be brash and prideful and full of themselves. So the call to demonstrate humility is going to seem an odd thing in the eyes of the world. Now, there will be others who religiously uh, would identify with humility. Uh, A Buddhist would identify with that, but not for the same reasons we do. Because they don't understand the gospel. Uh, They're looking to empty themselves of everything and not have anything to put back in its place. We know we need to be emptied of sin and filled with the Spirit of God, lest we die empty and dead and condemned forever. Look at verse 4. He, he takes it a step further. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. We have to look out for others' interests too. We can't say that we care for others, and yet when what they desire challenges our desire, we say, oh, y'all hush, you had not been here as long as I have. You don't put as much money in the offering plate as I do. I didn't see that in a footnote anywhere. Those are the ways our flesh begins to rear up and say things that the word of God is not saying, but that we're saying. We're not trying to defend Jesus. We're trying to defend us and our track record and our family history and our tradition and all these things we love that are subpar the gospel. And here's my response to anybody who begins to want to cultivate division in the church to say, what is the biblical basis for what you're doing? We're here and you say it ought to be here. How can you defend that biblically? And with that response, some people would have to honestly say, you know what, I can't. It's just me. And at that point, we realize we have to repent and say, God, would you help me to make less of me and make more of you? And when we look not just at me, but begin to look at others, that means I'm going to see your worth. I'm going to remember that you too are created in the image of God. And if you are my brother or sister in Christ, you are also filled with the Spirit of God. And what he's doing in your life, even if I'm further down the path of maturity than you are, I still need to take into account what God may be saying through you. I even have to take into account what God is doing among lost people who are also created in the image of God. They're not my brother and sister in Christ. But it may only be two or three weeks before they walk in the door. Are you ready to receive them? Have you been thinking about them? Have you been praying for them? Or have you been too busy praying, nevertheless, not thy will, but mine be done? Which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. See, how humility works among the people of God reminds me of a good marriage. There's not a place to say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm unhappy. And I'm unfulfilled. And that's when people start to divide and they start to scatter. And and sometimes in marriages, they, well, you know, I, I just fell out of love. No, you didn't. Someone once said, people don't fall out of love. They fall out of windows. You have decided not to love that person. Furthermore, you've decided to love you so much 
that you're no longer going to love them. And if you're loving you, you're going to start checking off things on your priority list, even if it means you grind other people up in the process. It takes us beyond mere tradition, which is a huge motivator sometimes in the church. It takes us beyond our personal dreams for the church. It takes us beyond our personal expectations and even sayings like, I feel led. Who are you being led by? Because if it brings division and strife and is not biblical, you're not being led by the Spirit of God. There's an evil influence that has crept in there. Or I feel in my heart, that's a golden one, isn't it? I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. If what you feel in your heart is not in step with thus saith the Lord, you need to get your heart right with God. Stop excusing your sin on, well, I feel in my heart. Our hearts can get out of line. Our hearts can deceive us, but the Spirit of God will not. Neither will the Word of God. A call to demonstrate humility. John Stott, the famous English preacher, said it like this. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. The longer I live, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize I like to be around humble people. I don't like to hang around the roosters like I used to. You know what the rooster does. If he's not crowing, he's doing something else to bring attention to himself and to impress the hens and to be king of the barnyard. And I want to say this with with all the love I can. friend. It doesn't matter how long you've been here or how influential your family may have been. Nobody's called to be the rooster. Nobody's called to take advantage of the transition time and say, I'm finally going to start marking some things off of my to-do list. We're going to do some things my way for a change. Friend, you are calling the wrath of God on yourself. You should expect his discipline to come your way when you begin to play boss with something that is not yours. And that leads us to the last point. Just as surely as we embody unity and demonstrate humility, we are called to embrace the attitude of Christ. Anytime you are struggling with saying, I just don't know how I can put my desires and the way I feel to the side, remember these words. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what he did. He laid aside his glory. Jesus never laid aside his deity. He could not stop being God the Son. But he laid aside his glory in such a way that it was no longer obvious to many people, to most people, that he was God the Son. 
In perfect obedience to the Father, He took on our flesh. He walked among us in a fallen and tainted and rotten sin-sick world and was obedient not just to demonstrate some things here and there, but to be obedient even to the point of death and the worst possible death available. Death on the cross. Anytime we're tempted to say, you know, I, I, I've tried. I just can't do it, preacher. I just can't deal with those people. I, I can't see them have their way. They hadn't been here six months. You look at the example of Jesus as he hung on the cross with people mocking words he had already preached, mocking his deity, laughing at the idea that he was God in the flesh. Those who had spat upon him and beaten him and plucked out his beard, and his ultimate response was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Your challenges and mine aren't a drop in the bucket compared to that. The offenses put toward you and me are not a drop in the bucket to what sinful man did in opposition to the perfect Son of God. And that's why we worship him. There was a song back in the 80s that said, Lord, I praise you because of who you are, not because of all the mighty things you've done. The truth is, even though I sang that song, it's incorrect. In the Bible, both happen. We praise him because of who he is, and we praise him and we see him exalted because of what he's done, because of his perfect obedience to the Father. So that, we come to verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to ask you, are you bowing to him now? You're not a Christian if you haven't come to him in humility Letting go of you and your agenda and saying, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want you to be master. I want to be your servant. You see, when we bow on this side of eternity, we bow in victory. We bow in knowing that, Lord, we're nothing, but you're everything. But the Bible says everyone will bow on that day. But those who refuse to bow now because of their high-handed mutiny... Those who have said, Lord, I know you said you're going to steer the ship this way, uh, but, but I'm going to grab the wheel and tell you I'm not going by the way of the cross. I, I'm going to do my good deeds, and I'm going to do these things, which, by the way, God does not define as good deeds, because you're doing them as an act of rebellion to get around the gospel. Those people are going to bow, but they will bow in defeat. They will bow like an army on their knees who have just been stripped of all of their weapons. If you're here today and you're lost without Christ, you too need to take seriously the call to humility, not as a part of the body of Christ, but because you need to become a part of the body of Christ, and that will never happen in pride. It will never happen in arrogance as long as you're full of you. But today, as we've walked through the Word of God, the Spirit of God may have been in the process of emptying you. You see, He empties us of self, and He fills us with His Spirit and shows us our complete dependence upon Him. 
And although our flesh cries out to slide and go back in that selfish direction, the Spirit of God has reminded us again today through the Word of God, no. It's not about your agenda being met. It's not about your pride being affirmed or your glory being seen. It's about you bowing in honor to Christ. Several years ago when I was in college doing scholarship work, uh, the most popular job that anybody had was to work on stage during a concert. We had a few different jobs. You had to take chairs or stands back and forth. You had to raise or lower uh, the lid on the concert grand piano. Uh, but the number one thing you did was do your job and get off the stage because the star is coming. And when it's time for them to come out, you don't need to be seen. You need to be back there in the shadows. Do you know that's exactly what God is doing in his kingdom work? There are times that that you and I may be in view because there's things that he's called us to do. But in the process of all that, the next thing we're doing is getting out of the spotlight. We're going to stand back over here at the curtain and we're going to put the spotlight on the star. His name is Jesus. And if there's anything that goes on in your church that begins to look like pulling that spotlight back over here in the corner, I know I may not get center stage, but y'all shine over here in the corner where I am. That's the time to repent. That's the time to realize you're trying to manipulate the church for your glory. Instead of saying, Lord, you've called us to be one in the bond of love. We don't know exactly what your plan is, but we want to follow it together. We want to enjoy it. We want to enjoy you together. That's why you're called the family of God. Although you may have differences, although you may have struggles, you still come back together, and you cannot deny the fact that you kin to each other. Not because of your last name, but because of the blood of Jesus that's cleansed you from all sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us where we are. Thank you for how it convicts us of our sin. And Father, I pray today that your people would find the cure for selfishness in your word. That you would call them, Father, to unity. And that that unity would be made possible by a humility that you are cultivating among them. And that they would do that because they have seen the example of Jesus who embodied perfect humility. uh, To humble himself under circumstances that we cannot imagine. But Lord, at the same time understanding we've reaped the benefits from that. God, may we humble ourselves and realize it's not about us. That humility is the, the greatest thing that you will cultivate in us. And pride will be the worst thing that we need to avoid. God, as this church goes forward, may they go forward on their knees. As a people unified around Jesus and his gospel, deliver them, Father, from chasing their dreams, from chasing their agendas, from seeking their own glory. Father, as we sing this hymn of response, help us to obey what your spirit is saying. Nothing more, nothing less. Lord, put your glory on display as we obey you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing, I'm going to be down here. One of your deacons is going to be here as well to receive you. And you come.
in obedience to the Spirit of God. Turn to page 470 without him. Jesus, oh Jesus.